prodigal is someone who has walked away from faith. Everything we know about prodigals, um, we, we get from a parable that Jesus tells us um, in the Gospels. Uh, we'll, we'll look at Luke 15 today as we look at the, pro, uh, the parable of the, the lost or prodigal son. Okay? But before we get too far, we just simply need to acknowledge that, that we all, to some degree, um, are affected by this. To some degree, we all have some skin in the game when it comes to prodigals. And we've talked about this in terms of, of uh, the back door of the church, right? We've said that the back door of the church is seemingly wide open, that for a generation now, um, or I'm sorry, for this generation that we're raising now for years, that, that our kids are raised up in the church and we teach them true things and, and we, we pour into them and, and we, try to, we try to raise them in the way that they should go. And then what happens is they turn 18, 19, 20 years old and they just walk right out the door and they don't return. And usually that's not because they feel bad about the church. It's just because they don't see the church as something that they essentially need for their life. And so some of us, boy, for some of you, for some of you, that hits home seriously this morning because you're dealing with prodigals, um, your own children, who've walked away from faith and, um, and it breaks your heart. And for some of you this morning, uh, for a long time, you, you were that prodigal. You know, I mean, maybe there's some of you here and you're the one that walked away from faith for a long time. And um, it wasn't until recently that you decided to come back. Or maybe you haven't even decided yet. You just happened to be here this morning. And for some of you that are, that are in my demographic, you've got kids at home and you're just, you're hoping desperately that it's not them. But whatever, whatever the case is, this affects us all as a church. And, and another way it affects us, really, we hate to think about this, uh, but another way that it affects us is simply that um, all of us are prodigals. We're going to get to that more as we go to communion this morning, but all of us are prodigals. Listen, the whole point of the cross is that you're a prodigal. The whole point of the cross is that you walked away and God wants you to come home. So we'll deal the we'll deal with those things this morning, but, but we're going to get into this, and, and, and we're going to go and see what God has to say. We'll look at this from two angles. One, of course, is as we parent prodigals, what does that look like? Church, as we come alongside people that are parenting prodigals, what does that look like? How do we do that effectively? We'll look practically at some of those things, but then the other thing we have to deal with is just us. Where are we at? What do we need? Okay, and so we're going to look, a uh, huge chunk of scripture today. Our first one is Luke 15, 11 through 32. You've got a snippet on the screen there, but I'm going to read it to you. Um, so let's, let's get into this and, and we'll see, well, we'll see what we can see. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. We'll talk about the point he's illustrating in a bit. Don't worry. Some of you are like, that's incomplete information. I'm mad about, no, we'll get there. It's okay. Okay. To illustrate this point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Okay. Children, don't do that. It's a bad idea. Okay, don't. Mm -mm. Travis? Mm -mm. 
you can ask me. There's nothing to give you, <laughs> brother. So that's all there is to it. Okay, so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Now remember, for a Jewish man, feeding pigs would have been abominable. Pigs were unclean, according to the law. He would have had nothing to do with pigs if he were wanting to be um, righteous before God. And even if he weren't worried about being righteous before God, he would have nothing to do with pigs um, because culturally it would have been seen as something terrible. But he's out of options. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him in his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the, the pods that he was feeding the pigs... That's right, pig slop. He was so hungry that even the pig slop started to look good to him. But no one gave him anything. Then he finally came to his senses. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. All right, let's all just acknowledge that. Come on, that's fun. <laughs> it's happened to me before, and I'm the pastor. I've been there. Except mine plays Go Cubs Go. So, all right, where were we? Father, I've sinned against heaven um, and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. His son said to his father, um, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead, and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found and so the party began. Now, first things first, as we get into this this morning, I, I, if there's anything else that you get from that text, it's that there's hope. I don't know where you're at this morning with this idea of prodigals. Maybe you've got some in your house. Maybe, maybe... Maybe you've got some that, that have moved out. Maybe your children are well into their adulthood. But if I get nothing else from that text, I get that there's hope. Right? There's hope. If you're that person that's wandered away, there's hope. Okay? But let's break it down this a little bit. We're going we're gonna to deal with this. There's something that we have to understand here as we talk about prodigals. And it's something unpopular, and so I'm going to apologize to you up front, except I don't really mean it. We can deal with unpopular stuff. It just is what it is. We have to understand what's at stake here. See, when, when I say prodigal, and I was actually having this conversation with someone last week, um, talking about this sermon that was coming up, and when I say prodigal, the number one thing that we think, it's where our brains automatically go, most likely, is we think about Christians People who have become Christians, people who have genuinely made a decision to follow Christ, 
and then, for whatever reason, have then walked away from the church, walked away from faith, and are now living a faithless life. That's what we generally think about when we think of prodigals. And we, we think we have this hope because we read this story about the prodigal son, the lost son, that he was lost, now he's found, uh, he was dead, but now he's come back to life. And we, 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 we think about this and we have this idea that prodigals are Christians that have decided to live a faithless life for whatever reason, but will come back to faith and they will come back to living like who they really are. And that would be great. If that were what Jesus was saying, it would be spectacular. Because then I would know that what's at stake in that scenario would be the joy and effectiveness of a Christian's life here on earth. The problem is, it's not what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is talking about, what's at stake in this, we got we to change our mind on what a prodigal is at least most of the time, according to Jesus. This is somebody who is destined for hell. This is not somebody who is a Christian who has decided to live a faithless life for a time being because they got stuck. or they got, and, and that happens. But that's not what we're talking about here. Okay? What we're talking about here is someone who has, when they had their opportunity, they, they know about God, they've learned about God, they know about Jesus, they've learned about Jesus, they get it all, it's all been taught to them, they understand it, they have this intellectual belief, perhaps, in what's going on, but as soon as they had the freedom to make their own choice, they chose a life that was not about Jesus. They chose to go their own way. If you're smart, you should ask me, Matt, how do you know that's true? That's a great question. How do I know that's true? Well, if I look at the stories before this, the parables that Jesus tells, looking at chapter 15, he starts off with the parable of the lost sheep. And he talks about the shepherd with his hundred sheep, and 99 are safe and secure, but one of them is lost. One of them is, is away. One of them is not part of the fold. And the lengths that the shepherd will go to to leave the 99 and go find the one and bring him into the fold. And, and we read that there is such celebrating. And, and then Jesus says, and that's how it is in heaven. When one person comes to know and accept and understand and follow Jesus, when one person becomes a Christian, there is such celebrating in heaven because that happened. And then he tells the next parable about the woman with the gold coin that she lost and the lengths that she goes to to find the coin and to have the coin and to bring it back into the coin person to have it and how much celebrating there is because of that. And then Jesus starts this, he says, to illustrate the point further, continuing in the same theme of someone that is away from faith, but that needs faith. He says, let me tell you about the lost son. And think of, look, look at what the father says to the servants. Grab a robe, get the ring, kill the cow. It's time for a feast because the son of mine was dead. But now he's alive. He was outside of faith. But now he's back. Look, guys, we need to deal with prodigals differently than we have. We need to deal with prodigals. And I'm, some of you, that, that's mean of me. Because for some of you that were banking on your children being good Christians, 
but that have walked away from truth, and you're thinking, well, they'll come back. It's okay. They're still Christians, but they're coming back. Listen, I, I, gotta, I, I have to tell you, I have to at least give you a word of caution that there is no such thing. The Bible does not teach household salvation. And some of us have been banking so much on household salvation. In fact, I'd be willing to bet that some of you as adults that are sitting in here right now, maybe it's true for you now, or maybe it was true for you in the past, but some of you have been affected by this. Some of you have been banking on household salvation. This idea that because my household is a Christian house, that my child is necessarily a Christian or will be a Christian. I'm sorry to tell you, that's not the way it works. If you're here this morning and you were banking on your parents' faith to save you, you were banking on being raised in the church to save you, you are woefully mistaken. You are tragically mistaken, and the consequences could be huge. There is no such thing as household salvation. Now, here's why we think it. We talked about this a little bit last week, but we, sometimes we think of because of things like Proverbs 22.6. says this. It says, direct your children onto the right path. When they're older, they will not leave it. And we read something like that, and we say, okay, household salvation, right? It's a Christian home. We pray. We share truth. We, we pour Christian value out on the table. We, we, we do this, and when they're older, they will not leave this path so that we think, well, because of the way that our household ran and managed and worked, that our, our children will be Christians. The thing is, we talked about this. This is a book of wisdom, Proverbs. It's true, but it's not a promise. It's a, it's, it's a wisdom saying, okay? What you have to understand here is that this is a true statement about cause and effect. More often than not, when you raise your children and you direct them onto the correct path, more often than not, and I mean you really direct them. I'm not saying you stand over here. We talked about this before. I'm not standing over here pulling out the map and saying, hey, go there. But I mean, I direct them on that path. I say, here, you come with me and we'll go together on this path. That's why we sit at our dinner table and share testimonies. Because I'm putting them on the path. I don't just sit back and say, hey, go over there. Trust me, it's good for you. Okay? But when I direct them onto the path that they should go, more often than not, they will not leave it. It's cause and effect. But it's not a guarantee. And here's why it's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee because your children have free will. Your children have free will, just like you have free will. And your children must decide, just like you must decide. Your children have to make a decision to follow God and trust Jesus and submit to Jesus, just like you have to decide to follow, trust, and submit to Jesus. There is no such thing as household salvation. This is why, I'm just going to be honest with you here, I'm like, that's a terrible thing to say. I'm always honest with you. Like, I, I literally don't believe I've ever lied to you. But I'm going to be blunt with you here. How's that? That's why I'm not thrilled with the concept of infant baptism. I'm not mad at the concept of infant baptism, but I'm not thrilled with it. Because 
when Reformed churches practice infant baptism, they're not saying, well, this kid is saved because of our, our belief. They're not, they're not practicing household salvation. But there's a little bit of a flavor of that. There's a little bit of flavor that comes with it that says that. It's the idea that, it's the idea that, well, what we're doing is we're including them in the covenant community of the church. And that really rubs me the wrong way, and I'm going to tell you why it rubs me the wrong way. I want our kids to be involved in the life of the church. I want them to be important in the church. Here at Blessed Hope, we, I mean, we pour out resources and prayer and time and energy and effort for our kids in the church, but they are not part of the covenant community until they make themselves a part of the covenant community because the only covenant community in the church is the church. And you can only be a part of the church when you bend your knee in submission to Jesus Christ. Do not be confused. My heart breaks at the idea that we've got adults in this room that are confused about that and that are trusting something other than submission to Jesus Christ for their salvation or for their children's salvation. That's why I love the way the Free Methodist Church does it. They practice infant baptism, but then they also teach something called the reaffirmation of baptism so that when you are an adult or a young adult or whoever, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ yourself, there is a reaffirmation of that baptism, similar to the way that we've done it with adults that have chosen baptism, even though they were baptized as infants. It's not, it's not meant to be anything other than saying, that promise that was made for me, that my parents directed me onto the right path, so that later when I was older, I wouldn't leave it, so that I would stay on it. This is the day when it comes to fruition. This is the day that that promise that they made, the effort that they poured into me, now is the day that it's realized in my life because I trust and follow Jesus. Because household salvation doesn't exist. I, we, we have spent a long time on this idea here this morning, but you cannot be confused about this. You want to be a Christian? You bend your knee and you follow Jesus. That's all there is to it. Let's look at the Father here. There's some things that we need to know about the Father in this text. One is he's present. He's there. He's, he's there. Sometimes we get this idea, like maybe the lady in the video, that, that prodigal children, children that have wandered away, children that are away from the faith, that the reason they're away from the faith is because their parents have done something wrong. Certainly is not the case in this text. He's gracious. Think about the request that the younger son makes. It is brash, it is bold, it is arrogant, it is hurtful. But he's brave enough to make it to the father. It says something about the character of his father. And get this, he gives freedom. Do you suppose he's confused about what happened next? I mean, get this. He says, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Okay? So his father agreed and divided his wealth between his sons. Now, I would imagine the father tried to talk him out of it. I would imagine the father suggested that perhaps you're not emotionally or spiritually mature enough to handle this. You know, my gut tells me, right? My gut tells me that the father tried to intervene but ultimately, the father agrees. He allowed freedom. This is, a, this is somebody that is old enough to make a decision. The father agreed. 
But what do we read in the very next verse? A few days later, the unsung packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and he wasted all of his money in wild living. Do you really think the father was surprised? Is there any part of the father who sat down one night at the dinner table and said, wow, I did not see that coming? Of course not. Parents, sometimes we have to give our kids enough rope. We don't want to. I don't want them to fail. But sometimes we have to give them the freedom to fail. And yes, it's going to break your heart. Yes, it's going to eat you up inside. But you can't can't parent your adult children the way that you parent your minor children. It doesn't work. And some of you have tried. I mean, honestly, some of you have tried, and, and you know as well as I do, it just doesn't work. But not only that, not only does he give him the freedom, he doesn't chase after him, he doesn't stop him from going, he gives him the freedom, but then you got to love what he does. And some of you are so mad at him for this. But he lets him struggle. He lets him starve. He lets him be envious of the pig slop. Some of you in your minds, I mean, you wouldn't say this out loud because, well, obviously you know better. I mean, it's the Bible, so it has to be right. Okay? But some of you in your minds are like, why? I would never. Like, I would never let my kids struggle like that. Like, I would never allow my kids to go through something like that. I would bend over backwards. I would stop the sun, I, 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 the earth from spinning. Like, nothing would get in the way of my intervening and making sure that my kids were happy, healthy, and had what they need. I'm going to tell you now, biblically speaking, I think that's a mistake. The father lets it happen. He allows it to happen. The son chooses poorly, and the father allows the consequences to be what they'll be. Carrie and I had this conversation about Riley. Riley, if you're listening later, I love you. And we're very proud of you now. Riley graduated from UNI. And there was a party that she had that we threw for her. But really, it was a party for us. Because we worked so much harder than Riley did to get her through college. I mean, we did. We worked really hard to get her through college. And then it was time for her, she, got, she, she interviewed, first interview, got offered a job, and it was time for her to move away. And by the way, just, she's rocking it. She's doing great, okay? But at the time, we were getting ready to send her away, 1,200 miles away. And, and the question for, so what if she stumbles? We're giving her the freedom, but, but how can we fix it if there's a problem? 
You know, we talked about, do we need her to send us her paycheck so that we can, that, that we can help her make sure she pays her bills? And, and, and what are we going to do the first time she calls and says, hey, I, I need rent money, and, and yeah, I didn't plan very well, and whatever else. And, you know, um, because God's awesome and because Riley's mature, that's never happened in the year and a half that she's been gone. But ultimately, our decision was, oh, and this hurts. If she fails, she fails. If she fails, she fails. You know why that hurts so much? Partly because we don't want her to suffer. You don't want your kids to suffer. Partly because of the guilt we might feel for like, did we really do it as well as we could have? But you know what one of the worst things is? And I'll admit this to you. And you know, parents that have adult kids or teenage kids, you can agree or, you know. Partly, it's because of how embarrassing it is. When the kids that you're in charge of don't turn out the way that they're supposed to. It's an ego shot. But he lets him fail. He gives him the freedom. He tries to talk him out of it, I'm sure, but he lets him fail. And you know what? God says this is important, um, that we need to do this. Hebrews 6, 12, 6 through 11 says, For the Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes each one he accepts as his child. Discipline and punishment from God, and a lot of times that happens through natural consequences, is a way that God gets your attention. Parents of prodigals, when you step in and you try to ease those consequences, you're actively working against what the God of the universe is trying to do to pull them back. And there is too much at stake. Oftentimes, it's their salvation that's at stake. It says, as you endure divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children because he loves you and he wants good for you. Discipline, struggle, heartache is good at times. Don't Save your kids from that. Sometimes struggle is what's necessary. I mean, it sounds harsh, but it's this idea of, you know what, you made your bed. You need to lie in it. And you need to decide that it's not where you want to be. And you need to figure out how God, when you trust him and surrender to him, can pull you out. And parents, it doesn't mean that we're not there with advice. It doesn't mean that we're not there with help when it's appropriate. But we've got to be careful about this. But there's more. The father also does this. Look what he does. He doesn't just send him out and say, good riddance. But he waits with anticipation. He waits with anticipation for the thing that's been put in motion to come to fruition. He sends him out. He says, fine, you want your freedom? Here's your freedom. Consequences will come. I'm warning you. And when consequences come, he didn't go bail him out. He let the consequences happen. He let it happen. He let it work. He let God do the moving in his life. But he didn't wash his hands and say, I'm done. He waited with anticipation. And he prayed. Some of you would say, Matt, how do you know he prayed? It's not in there. Nowhere in there does it say that he prayed. But look what he said. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. There's no way he wasn't praying. You know who wasn't praying in this story? The brother. You know, I know he wasn't praying because the brother wasn't ready for the son's return, but the dad was. 
Listen, if you are parenting a prodigal here, have hope. Pray. Pray diligently. In fact, you know, we've got our Praying for the Kids project that we're getting ready to start. I asked you to sign up last week if you had a family that you wanted prayed for. I asked you to sign up if you would be willing to pray for other families. There's another paper out there today that says prodigals. I need the first name of anybody that you need us diligently praying for to come home. The father prayed. I know he prayed. He prayed because he was watching. While the son was still a long way off, he saw him. Why? Because he was watching. Why was he watching? Because he trusted that God would do what he asked. He trusted that God would work and answer the prayers. And he was ready. When the son came home, he was ready. He didn't have to deal with the frustration. He didn't have to process the anger. He didn't have to go through these stages of grief. He was just ready to open his arms and accept him in. The brother wasn't. The brother had been keeping score. The older brother had been keeping score. Here's what I've done. Here's what I deserve. But the dad was ready. It is going to be so easy when you have a prodigal. It is going to be so easy to be resentful. To be frustrated. To think that enough is enough. But God... God shows us here that we need to be ready. We need to be prayerful, we need to be ready, and we need to pour grace. That's how it works. So here's the deal. Um, Let's get practical for a second. If you're parenting a prodigal here, there's a couple things, and this is not my research. This is a... um, This is a... Uh, there's a word I'm looking for. This is a summary. That's the word. This is a summary of the research that's been put together. Okay. Um, There's some things that you need to be aware of. Uh, When you're parenting prodigals, this is practical advice from counselors and from parents that have been through it. Here are some things that you need to know and remember. One, don't be too embarrassed to ask for support. Many of you in this scenario will feel like it's your fault and it's embarrassing to acknowledge. I've been there It's embarrassing to acknowledge that the kids that you prepared and you sent off and you bragged about for so long aren't doing as well as you want them to do. Don't be afraid or embarrassed to ask for prayer and support. Know the difference between helping and enabling. Help your kids. My parents have helped, Carrie's parents have helped us so much over the years in so many tangible and then intangible ways it's not even funny. But know the difference between help and enabling. If you're allowing them to continue to live a lifestyle that doesn't work, if you're allowing them to continue to spit in God's face, if your help is allowing them to continue to live a way that is separate from the God of the universe, then you're enabling. Know the difference. Set boundaries, okay, that that follows right along. Set boundaries. You want to come home? Here's what you do before you come home. You need financial assistance, then here are the parameters for financial assistance. Whatever the case is, set boundaries. Follow through. Don't forget the rest of your family. This is one that that comes up more often than not when you do counseling with, with parents that are stuck dealing with prodigals. They ignore the rest of their family. Talk with a lady 
um, uh, back when I was doing private counseling, talked with a lady who had, had a, a college-age student that had dropped out and gone, and, and, and she was devastated, and it, and it ruled her. And I'd ask her in counseling about her other three daughters, and she'd have no idea what they were going through. They, she'd have no idea what was happening in their lives. I'd ask her about her husband, and she'd say, well, you know, you know he's fed up with me. But she was so fixated. Listen, don't forget about the rest of your family. Don't blame yourself. If you've got something to own, own it. Confess it. Pray about it. Move on. If there's apologies to make, make the apologies. But don't dwell. Be unified with your spouse. Listen, if you've got a prodigal that you're concerned about, this is the time that you and your spouse need to come close. You need to come together. Sometimes that means you need counseling even when you can't really understand. It's like, well, our relationship is fine, but we know this, we need counseling, we need to come together, we need to be unified, we need to be strong. Remember that God loves your child more than you do. As much as your heart is broken over your child that's lost, you got nothing on God. And look ahead. Crap is easier to deal with in the moment when, when you're looking ahead to what's to come. Trust God. Trust God for the day. The father trusted God for the day. That's why he was standing. He was looking. He was waiting. And his heart was right. When the child returned, his heart was ready because he'd been looking forward to something that was better. Tips for those of us in the church. Those of us in the church that uh, um, this is what we can be doing to be helping prodigals quickly. Don't be too embarrassed to ask for support. Um, No, that's the wrong one. Tell them you're praying for us. This is what parents of prodigals have said. When you ask parents of prodigals, hey, what do you want the church to do? This is what they want the church to do. Pray for us. Tell them you're praying and then actually pray. Let them know that they aren't alone. When you've got a wayward child, you feel like you're the only one. You're not, right? Remind them that repentance is a process. This story of the prodigal son is great, right? He goes away. He does stupid things. He comes to his senses. He comes home. It's done. He's restored. It doesn't always work like that. Sometimes it's a process. We need to walk through that process with them. If they ask you to, be willing to reach out. Listen, some of you, and I've only been here two and a half, three years, some of you have been going to church together for decades. Your families are so interconnected and intertwined that maybe it's appropriate for another voice of encouragement and rebuke. Maybe my daughter doesn't need to hear from me, but she needs to hear from people that she's grown up with that love her and care for her. Be willing, right? And remind them to take comfort in the word of God. Listen, these are things that people that are parenting prodigals, they say, look, we need this from you as a church. This is the way that you be the church to us. As we go to communion this morning, I'm I'm just going to say this. The reason that this is even important for us, the reason that we know how to do this, the reason that the father was looking for the son, and the reason the father could be ready to arms wide open is because it's what God has done for us. God has modeled for us what we need to do as we parent prodigals or as we come alongside lost, 
family members that we love and care for. God has modeled that for us. Okay? Take a look. <clears throat> We're too close. Here. <clears throat> oh, my goodness. Thank you. So excited watching the Cubs this last week. I forgot to sleep. <laughs> and then I got sick. It happens. But here's the deal. Let me just say it this way. God knew that you were going to be broken. All of us have walked away. Every single one of us has walked away. We've left home. For some of you, I say that and you say, yes, Matt, that's true. I get it. Some of you, that rubs you the wrong way. It shouldn't. Because the more we pursue righteousness, the more we know how far away from righteousness we really are. All of us have walked away. That's the point of the cross. The whole point of the cross is that God knew that you were going to walk away. The whole point of the cross is that God knows that you're messy and that you're broken and that you're ugly and that you do it wrong. But he wants to welcome you home. It's the whole point of the cross. You're going to mess up. But God is always inviting us home. Get this. This is, this is what he says uh, to Peter. Now, set the, the table here. It's the Last Supper. We're going we're gonna to celebrate communion in a moment. They come together. Jesus demonstrates his love. He washes their feet. Their gross, disgusting, awful, icky feet. He washes their feet. And then they sit down, and they're, <clears throat> they're at this meal. It's their Last Supper before his crucifixion. We know it is Holy Communion. We're going to celebrate communion here in a moment. Okay? And... and and this is what he says as they come to communion. He says to Peter, this is Simon Peter. We know him as, as Peter in, in, in the Gospels. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you turn back, when you turn back kind of lets you know that he's going to fall. When you turn back, Simon, I, I have a job for you to do. Strengthen your brothers. That's happening, okay? And, and, and of course, if you know the story, you know in John, we, we read that Peter's response to this is, uh-uh, God, you're crazy. Jesus, I'll never leave you. I will die for you. And Jesus says, well, really? Because I happen to have it on good authority, because, well, he's Jesus. He says, I happen to have it on good authority that before um, the rooster crows three times, you will deny me. I'm sorry, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. See, that's the context of this. He says, okay, look, we, we've had our communion together. The body, I said, look, he, he, I mean, get this. He tells them, I love you so much that my body is going to be broken as the ultimate sacrifice for you, the perfect, spotless lamb sacrificed for you, my body broken and lifted up as a sacrifice for you, my blood is going to be poured out like the drink offering. We're going to, we're going to drink this, this wine. We're going to have this drink. And it's going to be a picture of the way that my blood is poured out as a drink offering for you to usher in this new covenant, something that is so good because I want you in my family. I need you to be right with me. I want it so bad that my body will be broken. My blood will be poured out. We will usher in this grand new thing. And they do it. They celebrate it together. And then right after that, he says, oh, by the way, Peter, 
Satan is going to mess with you. And Peter says, "Uh uh-uh, not me. (laughs) And Jesus is like, you're going to deny that you even know me three times before morning. Before it gets to be morning, you're going to claim you don't even know who I am. But then he says this awesome thing. The very next statement he makes in John 14. He said, but don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. Trust me that everything I just told you about this new covenant is real. Guys, it is the whole point of the cross that God knew you were going to run away from home. I don't care how old you are here, there are still moments that you are running away from home. And it does not surprise your heavenly father. He is not caught off guard that you are running away from home. It's the whole point. I'm going to say it one more time. You got it by now. It's the point of the cross that you were going to run away from home, but that when you were ready, you were going to be welcomed back. It's not a complicated process. Ask the elders to come forward. Uh, We're going to... um, partake in communion together. It is not a complicated process. Salvation is not a tricky proposition. It's about as straightforward as it gets. And it's not because you belong to the right household. It's not because your parents told you something. It's not because you uttered a prayer at one point in your life. It's not because you were baptized. It's not because you took communion. It's not because you had your confirmation. It's not because you agreed with me at some point in time. Salvation is a simple process of bending the knee to Jesus Christ. It's the point of the cross is that God knew there was going to be a point in time when you wanted to come home. And so he says, I am ready to welcome you back home. He does that through the cross. That's why we celebrate communion. If you're confused about that this morning, I want to ask you to take a minute, okay? Take a minute. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have this opportunity for you to come. And, and if you're ready, if you choose to partake in communion, remember we practice open communion here. The only requirement is that you be a Christian, You don't have to be a member of the church, but you do have to be a follower of Christ because that's what this is. This is you saying, I want to come home. I need to be home. For the first time, maybe some of you have to come home for the very first time. For some of you, maybe it's the hundredth. But it's just saying, I I need to come home. And it's not complicated. You're a sinner. You're separate from God. The only thing that will save you is the cross. It's trusting in Jesus, submitting to Jesus, following Jesus. If you haven't done that in your life, I don't see any time but now. There there is no reason that this isn't the moment for you. not complicated, but there's only one way. 
Would you pray with me as we prepare to come uh, for communion? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the sacrifice. We thank you that your body was broken for us. As a sign, as a symbol of how um, you, you were the ultimate sacrifice. We, we thank you that, that as you broke the bread and passed it, that you, that you were just giving us a foreshadow of what was to come and what you would do for us. Father, we thank you that as you poured the cup and, and you passed it, that it was a picture of this new covenant that we were going to enter into. We thank you that as sinners, with no right to come home, Father, that we can boldly come home. We confess that we're broken. Like the son in the story, we say, Father, we, we have sinned against God. We've sinned against you, but we want to come home. And Father, we know that when we come to you through the cross that your answer is yes and that your arms are open wide. Father, I pray if there's those here that, that haven't made that decision, that you would just work in their hearts that today would be the day. And Father, if there's those that, that have made that decision but they're just wandering, I, I pray that this morning you would call them home again to confess and to come back and to submit it's the point of the cross. Father, we love you and we praise you. Amen.